Thank you for joining us in our Luke series, the most important story ever told. I want to pose a question to you today. And if you got your Bibles, you can flip over to Luke chapter 8. That's where I will land. But the question that I want to pose to you is, what do you do when life seems out of control? What do you do when you're facing incredible turbulence and just the storms of life? What, what, what do you do? Have you noticed that life can just be sailing along and everything just appears to be so smooth and then bam, in the blink of an eye, chaos, disruption, broken arms, <laughs> unexpected trauma, in a matter of moments, things that were just going well are now disrupted. And we sit there and we think, man, what just happened? What in the world just happened? And reality is we're, con we're confronted with the truth that we were never in control in the first place. And that's a hard thing for some people to come to grips with. Man, I was never in control to start with. Starting in verse 22, now one of those days Jesus and his disciples got into a boat. And he said to them, let us go over to the other side of the lake. Mark chapter 4 captures this same story. And Mark 4 adds this, and leaving the crowd behind, they took Jesus along with them in the boat. And other boats also followed. They launched out, but as they were sailing along, Jesus fell asleep. And a fierce gale of wind descended on the lake. And their boat was being swamped with water. And they were in danger. They came to Jesus, woke him up, and said, Master, Master, we're perishing. We're, we're about to die. Don't you care if, we're, if we drown or not? Jesus got up, rebuked the wind and the surging waves, and it stopped, and it became calm. And he looked at them and said, where's your faith? And they were fearful, yet amazed, and began to say to one another, who then is this? that he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Jesus and his disciples are on the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is about 13 miles long. It's about eight and a half miles wide at its widest point. I've been there to Israel, and I've taken a boat ride across the Sea of Galilee. It's about 700 feet below sea level. It's buried in between these mountains. It's kind of a bowl, if you will, of water. And it is known for sudden, violent, turbulent storms just happening. My buddy John Smoltz called me yesterday and we were talking and he goes, so what are you preaching about tomorrow? And I said, I'm in Luke chapter eight. I'm going to be talking about when Jesus and the disciples get in the boat and head across Galilee and the storm hits. And he goes, when I was there in November, he said, I will never forget, like, just amazed at how small this body of water really is in comparison to what we think. It's like, man, this is going to be a huge place, 13 miles long, eight miles wide. And John said, the day we were to do our boat ride, the swells were 14 feet and they had to cancel it. Just a storm out of nowhere settled there. And he said, we couldn't, we, we, we couldn't do our boat ride. You kind of get the picture of where it's at. And the amount of turbulence that can happen here, 
And these disciples with Jesus are just kind of cruising along. Everything's good. The winds start howling. Torrential downpour. The boat is filling with water. They begin to sink. They're overwhelmed. They begin to panic. And, and, and it was like, man, things were so good until it wasn't. And life storms seem to come out of nowhere for us. They just come out of nowhere. They're unpredictable. And when these storms hit you, they try to paralyze you. And when you're in the midst of a storm, you will feel so overwhelmed. And storms, I believe, try to get your focus and attention fixed on the nastiness of what you're in instead of being focused on the Lord. We had our friends Chris and his wife Heather. They were over for dinner on Thursday night, and uh, we had a great time. They get there around 3. We have great conversations. Barb had made just an incredible meal. We're sitting there just having just a good time together. And, uh, and so they leave at around 7.30ish or whatever, and one of the rhythms for Barb is she enjoys drinking tea at night. Uh, maybe that Canadian influence uh, in her life, whatever it is, but... She, she got this organic tea down at this organic farm where she buys a lot of our vegetables. Like, you know, we had this fresh romaine that night with beets and carrots. I mean, it's, it's great stuff, right? But she got this new tea. And so she drinks her tea, and then Barb and, Rachel, or Barb and Hannah and Caleb, they have to do these breathing treatments with their cystic fibrosis stuff. And so uh, she starts doing her breathing treatment, which includes albuterol and these pulmazines. I mean, she's just sipping tea. Everything's good. We've had a great day. She starts this breathing treatment, and all of a sudden, she's like, I don't feel like I can breathe. And I'm like, you're doing a breathing treatment that's supposed to help you breathe, and now you feel like you can't breathe. And I'm looking at her, and she tries to inhale more of this medication, and she's like, I'm serious. I feel like my breathing passageways are shutting down. And I'm like, I call Sandy next door, who's a nurse practitioner, and I'm like, Barb says she's struggling breathing. She, she can't breathe right now. Well, she goes, I'll be there. She comes up. We take Barb to the ER. Sandy goes, I'm telling you, if you transport her through an ambulance, they're going to give her some oxygen. We got to get her there. And so Barb's got one of those little uh, oxygen things that you put on your finger. It tells you what it is. It goes from the high 80s down into the low 80s, and now it's starting to hit in the 70s. And I'm trying to cruise to the hospital. And Sandy goes, we've got to get her there. They've got to, they got to shoot her with some steroids and stuff. She hit, something is, is off. And we, we get there to the ER, and all these other people are there, but they're like, hey, this girl right here is not breathing real good. She can't breathe. And so, bam, they fast strike you back. I mean, dude over here got a dog bite. We can wait on you. This one over here, you know, you're drunk as a skunk. Maybe they're trying to sober you up. We can wait on you, but we got to get this girl breathing. So I'm sitting there just watching this unfold, and I'm like, what just happened? So we're there, and Dr. Hannah, my youngest daughter, sends us a thing of, where this, whatever you call that tea, chamomile or whatever y'all call it. I don't know all these things y'all do. But Hannah sends this thing and says, that organic tea mixed with that, there's cases of where people have had allergic reactions to this stuff, and here are the symptoms of it. And I'm like, well, look at Hannah sending this to me, and I'm looking, but I'm sitting there at the ER looking at Barb, and I'm thinking, 
what just happened? We just had a great day. Uh, we just had a great meal. And out of nowhere, bam! And you're sitting there like, Lord, what's happening? And while Barb is struggling, I'm just like praying for her. I'm already in bed. I'm ready to go to sleep. And, and I'm like, I'm praying for her. And I'm like, what happened? Here's a premise statement I want to make to you as we unpackage this text. Uh, Jesus has power over everything. Over the storms of life, over sickness, over illness, over whatever, I have come to realize that Jesus is more powerful than and greater than anything that you will ever face in life. When you read this text here, the reason the seas and the winds obey him is because they recognize the authority of his voice. They recognize the authority of his voice. His voice and his words carry so much weight. No matter what you're going through today, I can promise you that there is a Savior that is risen from the dead, who is seated at the right hand of the Father, who is greater than anything you will face. Here's my question. Do you know his voice? Do you recognize his voice? Are you in tune with his voice? I want to give you some perspective as you navigate through the storms of life. And so whether I'm looking at my friend Heather here or Nick all the way in the back or Neil all the way in the back or Amber all the way, as I look at this room, every one of y'all have been through storms. And in this room right now, you're either in the middle of the storm, you're about to go into a storm, or you're just coming out of a storm. So what I want to share with you, I believe, is applicable for every person in this room, no matter where you're at and what's going on. The first observation I would make and perspective that I would offer you is this. You must anchor deep on the Lord's promises. You've got to anchor deep. Jesus said to the disciples, let us go over to the other side. Let us go over to the other side. This was a God-ordained trip. This trip was Jesus's idea. Guys, let me tell you, we're, we're going to go over to the under, other side. And if the disciples had been paying attention and listening, they would have recognized that Jesus' plan was to bring them over, not take them under. They were going somewhere. His intention was never, Rico, for them to drown. We're about to go over to the other side, fellas. I didn't say we were going to go under and drown. I'm taking you over. And I am convinced that no matter what you're going through today, that God is sovereign over your situation. No matter what you're going through today, God knows what God is doing. And I think a lot of times we lose hope and that God knows what God is doing. We feel like, man, I got to jump back in here and take control. And you may be in the middle of the storm right now. And the waves and the winds are beating against you. And things appear deathly to you. But if you will anchor deep on the Lord's promises, you can stop and you go, God, here's what I know. 
You promise to never leave. You promise never to forsake. You tell me greater is he who lives inside of me than he who is in this world. You tell me, God, you tell me if you're for me, who can be against me? You tell me that I'm more than a conqueror. God, you are with me and you are going to take me over. You're going to get me over to the destination that you want me to have. I'm going to arrive, but it's going to be choppy. And it's going to be bumpy. And it's not going to be without storms. And I think a lot of times when we face storms, if we're not careful, we conclude that God has abandoned us. And what in the world am I going through this for? You ever been there? Instead of stopping saying, Lord, what do you want me to see? What do you want me to know? What do you want me to do? I've got to anchor deep on the Lord's promises. One of the things I wrote down, and I would highly encourage you to contemplate this and consider this. What, what we see oftentimes controls us and consumes us. What he says is superior to what you see. A lot of times when we're in the midst of the storm, what we see becomes dominant and we lose focus of what he has said. We've got to trust what he says more than what we see. Here's what I see. But what did he say? Here, here's what I see. I see cancer. I see illness. I see death. What did he say? And a lot of times the enemy will lie to you and get, get you Ian fixated. Hey, look, 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 look at what you see right now. And he goes, what you see right now is not going to last very long, but what I say is established forever. You got to focus on it. I would encourage you to hide the word of God in your heart. I would, I would encourage you to know the word of God, to meditate on the word of God, to store the word of God in your heart. You've got to study it. You've got to know it because you're going to go through storms and difficulty. And when you do, you can anchor in on what he says instead of what you see. The second observation I would make would be this. If you're going to navigate through the storms of life in a healthy way, you've got to be willing to leave the crowd behind. That's what we read in Mark chapter 4. And leaving the crowd behind, they got in the boat with Jesus. If you're going to follow Jesus and walk with Jesus and obey Jesus and honor Jesus, you're going to have to leave the crowd behind. Reality is when you commit and surrender and yield to walk with Jesus, you're not going to be the most popular or the most applauded person on the planet because a lot of people that you've done life with family members and friends and others, they don't want to walk with Jesus. You look at the crowd and there's so many in the crowd that want to do their own thing, want to stay in the driver's seat, want to call the shots, want to be in control. And they even show up for church occasionally. They read devotions occasionally and they know some church jargon and some Christian ease, Jesus lingo, but when you hang out with them, there's no depth. They don't know Jesus. They're just part of the crowd. Part of the crowd. And there's so many people that struggle 
Like, if I really follow Jesus, am I, am I really going to have to give up being liked by other people, being cool with other people? Let me tell you something. You can't walk with Jesus and walk with the crowd. Man, I want to be noticed, and I want to be recognized, and I want to be accepted. Are you addicted to the approval of the crowd? You lean into the approval of the crowd. Most people in the crowd, when you start to look at their lives, I mean, a lot of them are living in misery, but a lot of them are just living mediocre, complacent, play it safe, take no risk kind of lives. Jack, I look at lives and I'm like, man, they're just playing it safe. They're not doing anything. They're not going to take any risk. It's like, man, if I really start to walk with Jesus, man, he might lead me directly into a storm. And I would rather call the shots and be in control because I, 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 I just want to avoid as many storms as I can. Reality is, if you walk with the Lord, you're going to go through storms. And God will never use you to have great influence and impact in your world if you're not willing to step out into the deeper waters. Play it safe over here on the shore. Oh, I'm in the boat, brother, but I hold the rope. I only want to go about uh, 50 feet out. When I surrendered to Christ, I looked at the crowd. I'm like, I'm going to follow Jesus. I want to honor Jesus. I want to, I want to serve him with my life. And I had a lost crowd that I had done life with. Them are my running bros over there. Them are my drinking bros. Them are my partying bros. And I had to look at guys that I had done life with for a long time and say, hey, hey, I got to leave the crowd. I pledge that I'm going to follow Jesus. He rescued me out of hell. He's speaking life into me. I'm, I got to leave the crowd. Start going to church. Start leaning into the word. And all of a sudden, I realized that there was a crowd in the church. People that had walked an aisle somewhere along the way, prayed a prayer, but they were sitting there playing it safe. Oh, oh, oh no, brother, I, am, I, I ain't giving. No, no, I ain't serving. No, no I, ain't, no, I ain't doing no missional work. No, no. And I looked at so many people that made up the church. There was nothing but a crowd. And the Lord said, if you're going to follow me, and if I'm going to use you, you're going to have to leave the crowd. And we think oftentimes when we come to faith in Christ that we're rescued out of this worldly lifestyle brandy. And it's like, I got to leave the crowd. But the church becomes a place where people, I'm complacent. Oh, yeah, it's all good. Going through the motions. Mm -hmm. You got to leave the crowd. Every step of faith I've taken required leaving the crowd. You're going to walk away from baseball, I got to step away. You're going to move to Indiana, I got to move to Indiana. You're going to where on a mission trip, son? I'm going to Korea, mama. That's a long way away. It's a long way away. You gotta go there. You going where? I'm going to Venezuela. I'm going to Bangkok. I gotta go. 
I got to go. Because the Lord put a burning in my heart to say, you got to go. I'd been with a sports ministry for 20 years, was really pressing in and praying. I felt like the Lord said, you got to go. I want you to pastor locally. It's not going to be applauded. It's not going to be embraced and cheered by people that you've done life with, but you got to go. And I think one of the things that hinders people in really discovering their identity in Christ is they're not willing to leap the crowd. You can't go with him and stay where you're at. Third observation I would make is this. You better make sure Jesus is in the boat, will you? The text says, Mama Kay, they took Jesus with them in the boat, and other boats also followed. If you're going through a storm, you better make sure you got Jesus in the boat. And if you're not going through a storm, you better make sure you got Jesus in the boat. Because if you're not going through one, you will before very long. When you read the text, Jesus was in one boat. And the text says that other boats were following nearby. There's so many people that I've met over the years that are just okay with being in the vicinity of Jesus. Oh, he's in, he's in proximity. I'm in vicinity of where he's at. But they've never invited Jesus into their boat. They go through the motions. Again, they may attend church occasionally. They read an occasional devo. But when you get with them and say, hey, hey, is Jesus in your boat? No, nah, man, I'm in a boat right close to him. When a storm hits, people get exposed on whether Jesus is in the boat with them or not. And I've seen God use storms to drive people to a place where they go, I, can, I, I, I can't handle one more storm without Jesus being in the boat. I've tried to navigate these murky waters. I've been riding the storm out in my own power for so long. I'm not willing to take another trip without Jesus being in here with me. Lord, you've got to take over. Is he in your boat today? You've got to ask that question. Who's the captain of your ship? Who's calling the shots? I'm not talking about going through the motion. I'm not talking about acknowledging God. I'm talking about living a surrendered, yielded life to Jesus saying, you call the shots. You call them. Next observation I would make is this. Don't, 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 don't assume that you know how Jesus works. Don't assume that you know how he works. The text says that Jesus was asleep in the midst of the storm. And the disciples reacted in fear. They wake him up, and here's what they do. They question his love for them and his care for them. Look, and this is what they do. They wake him up, and they're like basically saying, if you really loved us, you wouldn't let us go through this. If you really loved us and cared about us, you would do something. If you really, really loved me and cared about me, you wouldn't let me go through something like this. And people make all these crazy conclusions. This was their conclusion. 
Jesus doesn't care. We're going to die. You ever felt that way? You ever gone through just a major crisis, traumatic time, and storm in your life, and you're like, start quoting John out of Revelation, like, come quickly, Lord Jesus, I'm ready to go. And we, we want to bail on storms a lot of times, right? Man, where is God in the middle of all this? Here's a couple of things I would write down. Fear, fear will cause you to reach some distorted conclusions. Fear will distort your vision. Fear will cause you to reach some conclusions that are inconsistent with who God is. There's two kinds of fear we read about in Scripture. One of them is healthy. The other is very unhealthy. The fear of God protects you. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge and understanding. The fear of God is good. I fear God reverence, awe, respect for, yielded to. The spirit of fear is driven by Satan and it will keep you in bondage. You got the fear of God is good, but the spirit of fear is straight from hell. What are you saying? I'm saying what you fear will control you. What you fear will control you, will consume you. What do you fear? Do you fear God? The fear of the Lord. Man, this is wisdom right here. Or have you succumbed to the spirit of fear launched by hell? that wants to trip you up and take you down and keep you in bondage. Paul writing to Timothy, he would say in 2 Timothy 1, hey, hey, Timothy, realize this. God has not given you a spirit of fear. But God has given you power, love, and a sound mind. You see, the fear of God offers life. The spirit of fear leads to death. And the battle, when we're faced with fear and the opposition of fear, it's a spiritual battle, not a physical battle. And the only way that you're going to be able to fight the battle of fear is through the Word of God. I got to know truth. What I see is lying to me. What I see is temporary. What I see right now in the midst of this disease or difficulty or divorce or whatever situation I'm going through, this is, this is what I see. But here's what you say. I've hidden your word in my heart. Paraphrasing so that I will not succumb to fear. I've hidden your word in my heart so that worry will not shepherd me. I'm fighting this. Reality is, fear, when you succumb to it, entertain it, it will prevent you from engaging with the Lord. 
Fear blocks your connection with God. The root of all fear will point you to a lie. A lie that you believe about God, a lie that you believe about yourself, a lie that you even believe about life. You've got to confront the lies, the fears in your life. I'll, I'll never have anything. I'll always stay broke. That's a lie from hell. I'm, I'm just probably going to be single all my life. Don't nobody want me. That is a lie from hell. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. Quit trying to control the narrative. Fear. Look. Fear screams, you can't trust God. Fear screams, you need to be in control. Fear screams, you know what's best. Live that lie. Live that narrative. Live that pain. Live that shame. Lord, that's a lie. That's a lie. I was writing this stuff down the other day. I'm going through this book, Living Fearless by Jamie Winship. And I was writing this down. What were some of the false narratives that you believed, Tim? Oh, man, you're just a broke, poor old boy from nothing. That's what I wrote down. Believe that for a while. Look at you, homie. You made a 550 on the SAT, took 099 classes your first semester in college because you thought you were dumb. I can't read, I can't retain. That's a lie from hell. And I believed it for a while. Oh, dude, hey, man, lust runs in your family, dude. You're just a womanizer. Lie from hell. That's not who I am, but I believed it. Oh, man, I'm just a baseball player. I'm a jock. That's a lie from hell. That's just something I did. I started struggling through this the other morning. And I'm like, Lord, what's my identity? He goes, you are a proclaimer of truth and a soul awakener. That's who you are. Hallelujah, that's who I am. That's who I am. Who are you? Who are you? Because those lies, oh, mind monsters. Look at you. You just divorced. You just an old druggie. You ain't worth having. No, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I might have taken the scenic route to get to where God wants me. But I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am a child of the king. I am the beloved son or daughter of Christ Jesus. He who is in me is greater. Hallelujah, that's who I am. I'm a student of Jesus. I'm a follower of truth. I'm a son of the king. The king wants the best for his kids. What you see and hear in the natural will lie to you. But what he says when you start to believe it and step in the supernatural will free you up. They see Jesus asleep and they're like, he don't care. He's off the job. He's punched the clock. Don't assume you know what's up. Whose idea was it to go to the other side? Just because you're facing troubling waters today, just because you're going through a difficult time, don't you think for a second and allow the lie from hell to convince you that he doesn't care, that he doesn't know, that he doesn't see, that he's not willing to enter. 
One of the things I wrote down in studying this is don't allow the darkness of the storm to shipwreck what you believed in the light. And I've seen so many people over the years, they allowed the darkness of the storm to shipwreck what they believed in the light. You got to get back in the light. Is the journey hard? Yeah, it's hard, Tara. Do sometimes storms last a lot longer and even present themselves a lot stronger than we would like? Mm-hmm. And when the storms beat against you, you're going to be tempted to run back to shore, to get off the boat, to call, the own sh- call your own shots and jump out of the boat and you're with the best person, the safest person, the kindest person that you'll ever be with when you have Jesus in the boat with you. Please, please, please listen to me. Focus on Christ today. Fixing your eyes on Jesus. Don't focus on the storm. Stay the course. The next thing I would tell you is this. God desires to strengthen your faith and your trust in him in the midst of the storm. Jesus calmed the storm. I love this. They were, the waves recognize his voice. The winds recognize his voice. If I don't praise him, the rocks are going to cry out and praise him. They recognize his voice. And he looks and he goes, hey, hey fellas, why are y'all so afraid? Why are y'all so afraid? Where's your faith? He didn't look at him and say, oh, Jesus, wake up, wake up. He didn't look and go, wow, what a storm. He didn't say, wow, I understand why y'all are so scared. The storm didn't trouble him, but their lack of faith did. The storm didn't trouble him, but the lack of faith did. Here's the reality as we sit here this morning. Our faith is what needs to be awakened. We get dormant. We coast. Things don't go the way we want them to. We can't control the narrative. All of a sudden, something happens, and really, it inconveniences what I want. I want to awaken your faith. You're not trusting me. You're not depending on me. You're not leaning into me. You're griping about the storm instead of claiming the promises of who I am. Stop. Just stop. What is the Lord saying to you right now? What has the Holy Spirit spoke to you even over these last 10 or so minutes as you sit here? What is Abba saying to you? What is God telling you about him right now? What is God telling you about you right now? If you're a child of the king... God's been speaking to you right now. He don't need my words as Dustin prayed. Lord, let it be you, Lord. What is God saying to you?
does he want you to do? What action step does he want you to take? And let me, let me encourage you with this. Instead of viewing storms as being your enemy, why don't you view them as being your friend that awakens deeper trust and faith in God? Spin it. You ain't going to believe what I've been going through. Instead of phrasing it that way, right? Like, you're not going to believe what I've been going through. Why don't you phrase it, you're not going to believe who I've been tripping with. You're not going to believe who's been on the boat with me. You're not going to believe who's calling the shots, man, on this ship. Instead of, you ain't going to believe how bad the storm is, and you're not going to believe all the... You're not going to believe who hadn't left me. You're not going to believe who walked with me. You're not going to believe who carried me. You're not going to believe who calmed me. You're not going to believe it. You're not going to believe it. When he was all that I had, I realized he was all that I needed. You know what I'm learning? What are you learning? I'm learning to embrace the winds. Instead of asking him to dismiss the winds, I'm starting to look at the winds and go, help me embrace the winds. I mean, they didn't have some vessel with some large motor on the back. I've seen the kind of boats there that they would have traveled in. They were elongated kind of canoes, man. These guys have got oars and they're paddling and they don't have all this fancy stuff like we have today. They don't have a boat like Dean's or... They were counting on the winds. And sometimes when we, we go through the storms, God, get rid of these winds. Lord, calm this thing down. And he goes, I don't want to calm it down. I want to show you that I'm enough in the midst of the storm. You want me to eliminate the storm, but I'm using the storm to, to stretch you and to strengthen you and to awaken something in you. Yes. I want to show you that I'm more powerful than any storm that you will face. Rebukes the winds. Peace be still. I'm like, mm, mm, mm. Get Jesus in the boat with you. Make sure you're in the boat with Jesus. I was telling Drew yesterday, Teresa's husband, I was like, this is one of my favorite messages in this whole thing. Now, I told him the week before when I was doing the soil, I'm telling you, this is one of my favorite messages I've done so far. <laughs> But I told him the week before, hey, man, this, this teaching on John the Baptist is one of my favorite teachings I've done so far. I've just come to realize that anything in Scripture that I start to study becomes like my favorite thing. But I'm like, but memorize it. Meditate on it. How do you navigate the storms of life? What do you do when life's out of control? <laughs>